get ready to strap on your boots. I'm your host, Jason Sherman. Today in Strap On Your Boots, I'm with a guest. I'm talking to Steve Preda, ViableBusiness.com. Thanks for joining me on the podcast today. Hi, Jason. Great to be here. Awesome. And uh, I, I noticed uh, you have Bible book behind you. Can you tell me a little bit about how you first came up with the concept for Bible business in the first place? Oh, well, uh, so Bible is a new book and I came up with the title because it's all about, it's not about selling businesses. It's about making businesses uh, so great that other people want to buy them. And my whole career went into it. Uh, you know, 20 years ago, I started as an investment banker. I worked for a big bank and then I broke out and I built my own firm, which eventually, I eventually sold after some trials and tribulations. So as an investment banker, I helped other businesses position uh, and prepare them to, for sale. And then I became a business coach over here in the U.S. And I've worked with uh, a lot of CEOs and, and you know, helped them improve their businesses so that they become great businesses and a great business is then viable. So that's the idea. Interesting. So you actually started out in the corporate world for a while. You, you transitioned into the entrepreneur entrepreneurial world. Tell me about the transition. Like what made you realize that you wanted to be an entrepreneur instead of working for the corporate world? What was that moment that you realized you had it in your DNA? So the moment probably was uh, when I was a teenager. So ever since um, my age of 10, I was mesmerized by the stories about my great grandfather, who was a a very successful entrepreneur in pre-war Budapest. He ran a bakery chain and he supplied all the big hotels. And I always, you know, my, my, my parents are, are professionals, uh, doctors, physicians, and uh, you, they've got the tourneys in the family. But I really most resonated with my great-grandfather. So I had this idea and I, I did the entre- entrepreneurial stuff of buying candy and selling it at a, at a margin, you know, at, at a markup to my classmates. So I had this in my mind that I wanted to become an entrepreneur um, and when I was uh, finishing college, I had this great idea. The Berlin Wall was just coming down at the time. And I came up with this idea to create this game called, it's like Monopoly, but for communist countries. So how do you, like, you don't buy up properties, you nationalize stuff. And I came up with this board game. And my plan was to launch it for the Christmas of 1990 or something like that. And uh, I started on it with a friend and then I got this scholarship in the Netherlands and I went to the Netherlands and I got a job in London uh, and I got, and then I got another job and I came back to Budapest and I, I had this golden cage. I was a highly paid young uh, executive uh, on a, this management program. And it was like, I, I couldn't leave. So I had this idea that by the age of 35, I definitely have to start something because it's going to be too late. And then what happened was when I was 35 and a half years old, I got fired from the bank where I, I worked. And at that point, suddenly my opportunity cost disappeared and I could get on my entrepreneurial thing. So Friday uh, afternoon, I got my pink slip and Monday morning, I opened my office in the apartment of a friend and never looked back. 
you know, getting fired from a job is always the best motivation to start a business. It's the same thing that happened to me going back to 2005. I worked in the IT industry for over a decade out of college and I got fired from my last job as an IT supervisor. And I decided I'm never going to do that again. I'm never going to work for someone else. I'm never going to make them millions of dollars while I get a measly paycheck. And I never looked back. Same thing. Also, funny enough, my, all my family are entrepreneurs. I also sold something to my classmates when I was a kid from Europe. I would bring back bracelets and I would sell them to people. So I always... I always find it really cool and funny when um, people tell me that they, they found out they were entrepreneurs by selling something to their classmates. <laughs> it's not often, by the way, I, you know, not many people say that it's usually, they, they usually come up with an idea later in life, you know, but I think uh, it's cool to hear that you were a kid and tell me some of the challenges that you faced. You told me that you were, first of all, by the way, you were really persistent, right? You, you kept pushing along. It sounds like you were trying all different types of things. You were bouncing around different countries. You were very persistent, very motivated, right? So, but there must have been these challenges along the way when you moved from the corporate world and said, you know what? I'm not going to look back. I'm going to be an entrepreneur and I'm going to work for myself. What were some of the challenges you faced when doing that? So I'm, I'm a very excitable uh, type of person. So I get excited about ideas and then I can't wait to, uh, to tinker with them and do something with them. And, and I, you know, I've got these rose colored glasses and I don't see the downside. I only see the upside of it. Um, so the challenges, I mean, the first challenge was when I, I've left my employment, it was to get clients. And, uh, uh, and basically I was just, uh, you know, when I was fired, I was running the M&A department for a big international bank in Budapest and it was a complete rebuild uh, of this department after a merger. And, and, uh, and you know, it, I was new in the job, but I, you know, I figured it out how to get some clients. And we had already four clients. We were on the upward trajectory. And, and because I didn't have a non-compete, uh, I was a little pissed off that they fired me just as things were taking off. So I said, okay, so if you fire me, you fire your clients too. And then I went uh, uh, on to, uh, to basically talk to my clients and they, they liked me uh, more than the bank. So they walked uh, over to me, to my firm. The next six months, it took me six months to get all four of them, but eventually all of them came over. Most of entrepreneurs, they, they have a really big struggle being money, right? And they usually have a day job, so they want to run a business on the side, but it's really hard to do both, right? But you're talking about how you were able to figure out a way to raise the money or earn the money you needed to, to get through your business. So what are some of the ways that you navigated that, fin that financial part? So, you know, you know they, it's all about sales. So when you're early in a business, it's all about making sales and then uh, figuring out how you serve those customers. And, and basically, the, you always have to make the first sale on yourself. So first you have to sell yourself on the idea that you have a great product, you have a great service, and it will really benefit people. So you and, were earning money from sales in order to run your business. Is that what you're telling me? So you were, so, you were make, basically making a sale, taking the money and then putting it into the business to grow it. Each time you made a sale, you kept doing that over and over again. Yeah, absolutely. So I was an MA and mergers and acquisition advisor. So what I did was I signed up clients who would pay me a retainer and I would help them sell their company or raise capital for the company and, uh, and basically I just had to find new clients who were willing to, trust me with this transaction. 
um, and uh, and then I have to figure out how I'm gonna get it done uh, at the same time. So that that was uh, another wow. kind of ceiling I was uh, had to break through. What was the success rate on those early the early clients, the ones that you were first bringing in? Were you able to get their companies merged and acquired, or were you struggling with that? What was the process like? Actually, it was uh, remarkably good. <laughs> oh. and, and I've never, never thought about that. But really, the first few, I mean, it was kind of a gun to the head situation. So I could not afford to not succeed. Uh, and probably I was fortunate as well with the right kind of clients. But I, I you know, it did, it did work out. I mean, all of them worked out in one way or another. Um, so you know, I don't want to go into the details, but oh, that's great. Well, what, what were some of the things that you did? I'm actually really curious about this. What were some of the things you did to make the businesses attractive to the people that were interested in buying them? Like the investors were coming in and you were showing them these businesses. Like what were some of the things you were doing to make them attractive? So the thing about selling businesses that, uh, and this is what uh, clients often uh, misunderstand uh, yes, the past is important, but only to the degree uh, to convince the buyer that it's a reliable, predictable business. But what's really important is the future. And what happens with a business owner when they want to sell their businesses, they are thinking about the boat, they are thinking about the vacations, they are thinking about you know, uh, doing other stuff, their philanthropy, whatever it is, they stop having a vision for the company. And that's the biggest problem because the investor comes in and they want to buy the future. They want to buy a company which has a vision, which is self-managing, uh, which uh, they don't have to worry about. They don't have to get involved. It basically is an automatically uh, run company. And most of the time, these owners, they don't have that because they are a big piece of the company and they, they are leaving. Uh, there's no vision. There's nothing. So as an investment banker, one of our biggest job was to figure out what this company is going to do without the owner. And we came up with the vision and we convinced the owner. Uh, um, you basically help them coach up the next level to create some kind of a leadership team so that the, the buyer would come in and they would be able to believe that, okay, this is the team. And they had a plan, they had a vision. And, uh, and that was the biggest thing. How do we reposition this company so it can work without the owner? How to make awesome. it viable. Right. So, okay. That makes sense. And I guess there was a, a moment when you had to figure out what the value of the company was because, you know, obviously most entrepreneurs, they always ask me like, how did, how do I come up with the value of my business? How do I come up with, for example, how much equity I'm going to be giving out, how much I'm going to be offering a percentage of my company for investors. And I always give them like a mathematical answer really. And also uh, a financial answer what were some of the ways that you thought of to come up with the value of the business when introducing the company to investors? That's a big topic, but essentially uh, the value of a business is the present value of the future earnings of the business. So whatever business business is going to make uh, in perpetuity discounted back to the present is the value of the business. What about the guys on Shark Tank that don't like that? <laughs> you know, the investors on Shark Tank, they usually say, oh, you're, you're giving me a five times future earnings, but what about today? You're earning this much today. So, so investors actually go for that? So, uh, okay. <laughs> so here is the thing. Uh, the future earnings are always riskier than the current ones, right? So it's easy to draw a hockey stick, but how do you make it credible? So if you have a team who have done this before several times that they 
have uh, grown companies dramatically in the same way, maybe you can believe that future. If you have a company that has been stagnating all these years and suddenly it's gonna now perk up, that's not uh, credible, right? Now, Shark Tank, they often uh, invest in startup companies and they don't have no history and the owners don't have a history. So it's very hard for them to believe uh, uh, with any kind of certainty that it's gonna happen. So they can uh, afford, and these guys have nowhere to go. So they are in a position where they can say, ah, well, okay, I think it's a pinch of salt. Uh, and they get, this is how they get good deals, that those guys are strapped for money and they cannot prove that it's going to be successful and they take whatever they can get. I agree with you 100%. And uh, a lot of times they have their backs against the walls and they have to take the deal no matter what because it's either that or what are they going to do? You know, they're going to struggle. Exactly. And it sounds like you've had a ton of success in your career so far and as an entrepreneur as well, but there must've been a moment when let's say you had a time machine and you can go back to when you made this one big mistake, what would that be and how could you have avoided it? Well, I mean, I made many big mistakes. Um, When you talk about success, you know, Churchill said that success is stumbling from one fear to to another without losing enthusiasm. So this is how I see it as well. Uh, you know, just surviving failures is already a success. So there are many, so I, just to mention a couple, uh, right after I started my business, about 18 months in, we built quite a good practice of raising capital. Uh, the government had a program like the SBA here uh, they injected equity, 49% equity into struggling uh, small, medium-sized companies. And we got really good. We, we kind of came in, set up the business right when this program started, and we were the first off the block. And we kind of became a dominant player in advising these companies. And we were bringing, it was uh, the State Development Bank, and we were bringing all these clients to them. And this bank was, uh, this department that was in charge of this was run by a guy who was my age and He was the head of the Venture Capital Association and he was kind of jealous of uh, of our success and he instructed his colleagues that they should stop doing any business with us. So essentially, (laughs) we were almost 100% doing that work and suddenly they pulled the plug, all our projects collapsed and we couldn't continue. And we had to pivot overnight and then we said, okay, uh, so the next best thing, we are going to do a trade M&A, which is selling uh, companies. And we just uh, went out and we signed up a couple of clients. And the first client (laughs) we signed up was um, a distributor of stationery. And it looked like a nice company. They have a 5 million sales revenue, a million dollar profit. And we put out our our flyer about it and we promoted it. And soon enough, there were, were a couple of investors who were interested. They made indicative bids. And one company from Romania, they came and they wanted to do due diligence. So they walked in. And uh, they were about to go into the warehouse and check everything. And the CEO called me uh, into his office and he said, hey, Steve, we have a problem. So well, what is the problem? And we have this great investor. They're going to do the due diligence. We're going to close this deal. There's no problem. Well, actually, there is a problem. Um, um, so actually, we lied you about our inventories. Uh, our inventories are half as big as on the books. Oh, no. <laughs> we have been falsifying them because we didn't want to uh, make a loss because the bank would have pulled the credit line and then we would have gone under. Oh so actually God. this guy's going to get in and they won't see the inventor because it's not there. 
So that was a big mistake and a big failure. And the investor was totally pissed with us. And that didn't help our reputation. Yeah, that could, I was going to say, that could ruin your reputation. The word yeah. spreads and investors talk to other <clears throat> investors. So that's a, so your, your big mistake there was that you didn't do enough due diligence on the company before you just jumped in, you saw the dollar signs. So for entrepreneurs listening, if you're getting in bed with a, a, a partner or a customer, or if you're trying to work with another company, you should do your due diligence, which means you should investigate the business, do your background checking, search through their records, talk to all the different founders and employees to make sure the story adds up. Because maybe if you talk to all of them, you, one of them might give you a different answer, which will raise a red flag, cause some concern to do a little bit more digging. That's a great, uh, a great thing, to, a piece of advice to, to tell everybody. And, and speaking of advice, uh, everybody has had at least one mentor in their career or as an entrepreneur. I know for me, my, one of my mentors early on told me, he saw that I was struggling trying to scale my business. He saw that I was struggling doing too much at once on my own. And he said, Jason, you need to start delegating tasks to others to start scaling your business and be able to do more work. What was a piece of advice that a mentor gave you early on that changed the game for you? So uh, one mentor that helped me was, uh, was Dan Kennedy that you may know about. Uh, he is kind of a small business guru and He's been around the block a long time and he used to have a big mastermind group and I was part of this. And one of the things that he told me was to, uh, to figure out how to talk to my audience and to, at, at an emotional level. Um, and that was a big, uh, it's a big idea. And I started doing this. I sent out this direct mail piece back in late 2005 which I just wrote in an hour. It, I had this flash of inspiration. It was a beautiful afternoon, uh, autumn afternoon with gorgeous colors everywhere and the sun shining through. And I just wrote this story about this person who's, who sells their company and gets on their Harley Davidson and they go into, uh, you know, they ride out in the afternoon and it touched people so much that basically we built, you know, we built the business on this for a couple of years. I just sent this out every quarter and I always got 10 phone calls and we signed up three clients and it was just the most beautiful thing. Of course, over time, uh, it lost its power, but, um, but that was a huge idea to talk to people at their level, um, to touch them emotionally. And then I started a newsletter and basically what I did was, I talked about mergers and acquisition, which is kind of a high finance thing. I really dumbed it down so that everyone can understand the concept and it became very successful. And then we had uh, the newsletter is still running 14 years on and it helped me actually sell the company eventually. Uh, it was all about communication and talking to people at their level where they understood it and not at the high level to, to try to fool people with big concepts. I mean, emotions are a big piece of you know, talking to your demographic. It's part of getting in, you know, getting in touch with your target market, right? Understanding your customer because they have these, you know, types of homework you can do when you're figuring out personas, right? What are some of the personas or the user groups that you're going to be targeting and what are they buying? Where are they visiting? What kind of hobbies do they have? How do they feel on certain days and things like that? So I think that's a really good piece of advice is to look at your target market outside of the scope of data 
and look at it in terms of, you know, their feelings or emotions, what kind of personalities they might have. That's a really good one. I like that. And what is their pain? It's a big one. So what is their pains and what are their desires? Sure. If you can step into it, then you can really talk to them. Sure, because the pain point is is the focus of every startup, right? You want to you want to identify a pain point and how do you solve that for the customer? That's absolutely true. So I want you to give me some final thoughts in terms of uh, some words of wisdom for entrepreneurs out there, some inspiration, encouragement on what entrepreneurs can do to not only start a business but how to make them attractive to sell the business and you know, how to keep their emotions in check when they're running a business as well. Okay. Well, I lost a lot lot to digest here. So uh, as you said, every entrepreneur, entrepreneurs like snowflakes, they are all different. And there's, there are a million ways for an entrepreneur to be successful. You just have to find out what makes you successful. How can you be successful? It has to be sustainable. It has to be something that is not painful for you. Um, And, uh, you know, people talk about focus, focus, focus is being the big thing. I think that focus has its place. It's important, but you can't always focus. And I think uh, there's a lot to be said for procrastination as well. Because when you procrastinate, you basically, your mind wanders, you, you think of things, you check things, you read things, you absorb things, you go after your interest, your curiosity. And that's when you can come up with ideas so if you just focus, 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 then you're a machine and you're not going to come up with ideas. Now, some people uh, can focus, uh, you know, 60 hours a week and then they take the two days off and they come up with the ideas on the walk or wherever. And some people uh, do this by having an inspirational, a flash of inspiration and they go and they basically push everything away. Uh, they kind of put themselves in the corner. They know that they're going to have to do this in an hour, which is takes three hours. But they're so curious. This is the way I am. I'm so curious. I just have to go after it. I have to read this. I have to dig in. And, and then I put myself in this place that I have to produce. And then I'm going to be three times as productive um, figuring this thing out. Awesome. And um, so where can people reach out to you if they're interested in learning more about your services or where they can buy your book or if they just want to talk to you about you know, selling their business? Yeah, so the book is coming out. Uh, it's on pre-order already. The link, uh, the uh, Kindle version is on Amazon, pre-order. Uh, the paperback is going to be there in a couple of days. By the time you hear this, uh, it's already out there. Uh, you can also go on buyablebusiness.com and you can download the first couple of, uh, the first chapter and the introduction and preface. Uh, so you can basically get, uh, get my story there. Uh, oh, I also have a website, tractionequity.com. So if you are looking for someone to help you get up to the pinnacle and raise your business uh, to the next level, then reach out, check, uh, check out my website and uh, let's connect. I'd love to talk to you. Awesome, Steve. Thanks for coming on to my podcast. I'm sure a lot of people enjoyed this and learned a lot about selling their business. Well, thank you. I really enjoyed it. It was a lively conversation and uh, um, great to have been here. Thank you for inviting me. No problem. And we'll see everybody in next week's episode. Thanks for listening. If you learned something in today's episode, please subscribe and share this podcast with your friends. You can learn more about me at jasonsherman.org. Don't forget to pick up a copy of my book, also called Strap on Your Boots, on Amazon. 
And if you want to dive even deeper into the world of entrepreneurship, I suggest you sign up for my course called Startup Essentials on Udemy.com. Also, you can support this podcast by leaving me a positive review and also by visiting patreon.com slash strap on your boots to become a member and get bonus material. See you in next week's episode.